You have questions, doubts, or are you seeking clarity about coronavirus? Well, we have answers. Hi, I'm Pastor Mike Douglas with Mike's Minute or Two and Advancing Vibrant Communities. And this is a special edition of Mike's Minute or Two with Dr. Robert Chin as we explore the facts and realities of COVID-19 coronavirus and how it affects us as citizens and as followers of Christ. Our special guest for this half hour, Dr. Robert Chin, serving as a family physician here in the Modesto area for 36 years. He also serves as the chairman of the board of Advancing Vibrant Communities, and he has a wealth of accurate, verifiable information about coronavirus. Well, Dr. Chin, let's start our discussion with something that's in front of us every day, social distancing. Okay, thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. I think social distancing is extremely important. Now, we have passed the stage in dealing with COVID-19 where we can now no longer contain it. So we've moved from trying to contain it to now trying to mitigate it, which means to diminish the effects of it on society. And the key way to do that is going to be social distancing. And by definition, social, social distancing means that we stay uh, away from crowds. Uh, we stay away from close contact with people so that we're no more than six feet away uh, from anybody that we might encounter. And this allows us to prevent the virus from spreading from person to person and eventually, hopefully, cause the virus to die out before it continues to spread in the community. So social distancing is now the chief way to mitigate the disease. Dr. Chin, we're told to keep a a six-foot distance away from others. Is there some scientific basis of that six-foot distance, or is that just uh, an estimate? There is scientific data. It's based on how far droplets from our mouth and our nose might spew out. For example, when we're speaking or when we're coughing or even when we're sneezing. So usually it doesn't go beyond six feet and therefore that's the primary way we catch the disease is through droplets. Now you can catch it airborne through droplets or you can catch it through touching surfaces that has the droplets on it. But at least if you stay six feet away, you're not going to catch it airborne on the person that's nearby you. There's been a lot of debate amongst people uh, on social media and in the broadcast uh, industry as well about masks. Uh, Do you feel the masks are something that are necessary, uh, optional, or something that really is not going to make a whole lot of difference? Okay, that's a good question. Let me start by saying that I think a mask will not be protective against the virus because the virus, when it's droplets in the air, can get into your eyes. Uh, And the main way it's transmitted is when you get it on your hands and you put your hands to your face, those virus that lives in those droplets can then migrate over to your nose and your mouth. So the mass uh, is very ineffective in preventing those droplets from coming in. But having said that, I think it actually is very important to wear a mask, primarily because the mask reminds you not to touch your face. And if you don't touch your face, you probably have eliminated 90% of the possibility of even catching the disease. 
So I think the idea of even having everybody get used to wearing a mask is actually a good idea to diminish the spread of the disease. Not because it stops the virus, but because it reminds you not to touch your face. Just to go back a second, I think you said something pretty profound there. Did you say that 90% uh, of, of the transmission can be mitigated by not touching your face? Absolutely. I just uh, listened not long ago to a pulmonologist who's on the very front lines of treating COVID-19 in New York. So for the last couple of months, the only thing he's been doing has been treating COVID-19 patients all day long and probably in the premier hospital over there in New York. And he says that if, if we are able to wash our hands a lot in order not to pick up the virus from surfaces, and if we train ourselves not to touch our face, it is going to be very, very hard to catch the disease. That seems like a small sacrifice, doesn't it, to, to mitigate it? Yes. So I'm sure everybody has been hearing over and over again about how important it is to keep washing your hands, how important it is not to touch the face. But it's almost like that very simple truth is, is the key to avoid getting it. Now, people who do catch it from, let's say, somebody else who has it, uh, can also catch it if they have a prolonged exposure to that patient. And by prolonged, we mean at least 15 minutes in pretty close proximity to that patient. So for example, somebody that lives in a home with you. Uh, But that's the same with every other virus, including the flu virus. On the other hand, where you catch it out in the community, like out in the stores, out in Starbucks, or out in churches, is when you touch surfaces that somebody who has this disease has has been able to spread the droplets to that surface, and then you touch your face. It's amazing how often we touch our face with our hands, but the new normal is we're going to have to learn how not to do that, and we're going to need to remind ourselves to be well aware of where our hands are and to wash them a lot. And if we did that, we would go a long ways to preventing the spread of this disease. Again, it seems like a, a small sacrifice, but as you say, we have to break some habits there, and, and that, that takes some concentration, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. Dr. Chin, President Trump is now recommending uh, that we keep social distancing in place until uh, April 30th. Uh, that's another couple of weeks. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, that that that's a good prescription right there for the country. How have you found people are, are responding to this, uh, oh, several-week restriction on social distancing? How, how are people responding emotionally, and uh, how is that affecting them physically? Well, several uh, nuances to that question, Mike. Uh, for one, uh, for some people, this social distancing means that they're not going to work uh, it means that uh, they have to be isolated at home, and therefore there is the economic impact, which um, we cannot minimize. It is a tremendous amount of pain for a lot of families because now they have to worry about making their mortgage payments and feeding their family, and so uh, that is a tremendous burden on a lot of people to bear. Uh, apart from the economic uh, implications of social distancing is the 
sense of loneliness and social isolation that comes from social distancing. And that also can have a big effect on one's psyche and one's emotional and physical health. And so that is uh, a major concern as well. I, I think to uh, address that concern, it is important that people maintain connections with a small group, um, either via Zoom or telephone calls or maybe taking walks outside uh, with other people, but is still uh, absolutely essential that we human beings can able to continue to maintain some sort of social contact. So I think um, small groups uh, like church Bible study groups can meet via Zoom or other ways to still stay connected with one another. Um, but I think that the social distancing for the month of April is, is probably going to go way beyond April. I think it's going to be our new normal where even if the government relaxes the mandate to stay away from each other, we still need for months, uh, maybe four or five more months, to maintain some sort of social distancing and washing of our hands uh, in order to prevent a resurgence of the disease if it's able to be calmed down with what we're doing now. Dr. Chin, what about the, the seasons? Uh, we've heard a little bit about this. We're in, we're, we're in the springtime now. We'll be heading into summer fairly soon. Will we probably see the effects of COVID-19 reduced when the weather is hot and then possibly a resurgence again when we come into the fall and wintertime? Uh, we don't really know the answer to that, Mike. Um, if we look at what's happened with the influenza virus, that's generally true. In the hot season, it seems to subside. But this is a whole new different virus. It's not the influenza virus. So we don't know exactly how well this virus uh, will behave. Uh, so that still remains to be seen. But our hope is that it will follow the pattern of the influenza virus. But again, we just don't know yet. Dr. Chin, you just brought up something that I, I think we need to park on for a moment, at least in the early stages of us understanding that there is something called coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, many folks were saying, well, a lot of people die from the flu, and this is just another thing like the flu. Uh, can you give us your impression of the influenza that we normally see uh, versus COVID-19 and why COVID-19 is something that we need to treat differently and, and, and uh, even more seriously? Yes, that's a, a very good question and a very good thing for people to think through, Mike. So let me see if I can answer this as succinctly as possible. Uh, it's called a novel virus. Uh, because it's new to the human being. It's not new to animals. So it's been around, but now it's come and infected humans. And humans, because it is a new virus to humans, have no immunity to it at all. Whereas we probably have some immunity to viruses like the flu because we've had exposure to that in years past. But when we do not have any immunity and it first attacks you, attacks you more severely and attacks you more easily. 
So COVID-19 is more infectious and more deadly than the flu. Now, some of the ways we're trying to understand COVID-19 is by comparing it to the enemy that we know, the flu, in trying to understand the enemy that we do not know, which is the COVID-19. So in our best comparisons with the flu, we know for one that its reproductive rate is about 2.4 to 2.8, which means that for every person that gets the COVID-19, he will infect 2.4 to 2.8 other people. That's the experience in China. Now compare that to the flu, which has a reproductive rate, they call it an R-naught, N-A-U-G-H-T. That rate for the flu is 1.2. So at the minimum, the COVID-19 is twice as infectious as the flu from what we can see so far. Now the flu, the mortality rate, what they call the case mortality rate, the percentage of people who die among the people who get the disease, is about 0.1%. So out of a thousand people that get the flu, one person will die from it. The uh, case mortality rate for, for COVID-19 is not clear yet. We're still dealing with it. We're just three or four months into it. But as you might remember, the HWO, World Health Organization, uh, calculated that in China, that case mortality rate was about 3.4. That means that 3.4 the people will die. 3.4 percent of the people who get the disease will die from disease. Now we do think that that's an overly inflated rate, mainly because a lot of people who are just mildly ill were not tested. So of the cases that were tested, 3.4 percent die. And Anthony Fauci, who's probably the most knowledgeable person. Uh, about COVID-19 here in the United States, he thinks that that rate will come down somewhere around uh, 1%. But 1% is still 10 times the case fatality rate of the flu. So not only is COVID-19 twice as infectious, it's 10 times as deadly as the flu. That's why comparisons to present numbers of the flu is is a is still a moving target. We don't know the full extent of COVID-19 yet. And if it's going to behave like it looks like it's going to behave, namely twice as infectious and 10 times as deadly, that's where those calculations about 2 million Americans could possibly die if nothing was done. So for example, in a bad flu season, we will have 70,000 Americans die. So if it's twice as infectious, that already brings it up to 140,000. And then if it's 10 times more deadly, now we're talking about 1.4 million Americans dying, potentially, if it's compared to a bad flu season. Now, having said that, I really don't want to bring fright uh, and scare. What I'm encouraged by is that we're also treating this much more diligently than we ever treat the flu. We don't have people socially isolate with the flu. We don't uh, necessarily close down schools and businesses with the flu as we've done with this. So I think the uh, CDC was very uh, accurate and, and very uh, appropriate when they've asked us to socially isolate to try to mitigate the disease and prevent so many Americans from dying. But if we did nothing, predictably, we could have as much as 
1.4 and some people say up to 2.2 million Americans die uh, with this disease. So it's very serious, but thank God uh, and we're taking it very seriously now too. So hopefully it will get nowhere near those kinds of numbers. Uh, that's a compelling case for why COVID-19 is far more serious, far more deadly than uh, the influenza. And I yes. think you put it well, uh, the enemy that we don't know versus the enemy that we know, uh, well done, well well put. Let me ask you if we could uh, maybe uh, peek behind the curtain, uh, Dr. Chin. What have you had to do as a physician uh, to alter your practice in order to comply with restrictions but yet still serve the community? Like many other uh, healthcare uh, institutions and providers uh, around the country, we are trying to gear up for uh, the potential surge of cases that could come here in Modesto. So fortunately, we've not had that many um, diagnosed cases yet. I think as of yesterday, it was 33 cases uh, that have been documented to be tested positive. So it's not that many, although there's probably hundreds of people infected here in Modesto. And testing, unfortunately, is still not widely available. In our office, we just got uh, 20 kits uh, about four days ago to do testing. Uh, Most of the testing is still done via the emergency room, so there's not widely available testing, uh, which would have been very helpful, but that's something that we just have to accept and and do the best we can with it. But how it's changed our practice is that we're encouraging patients uh, to not come into the office for just routine well care at this point in order to make room for a possible onslaught of people with respiratory symptoms. When they do have respiratory symptoms, we screen them over the phone, and if they have a fever and, and, and coughing, we will actually test, we will actually evaluate them out in the parking lot first. And uh, if indicated, do the COVID-19 testing uh, out in the parking lot. Again, it's reserved for cases that are fairly severely ill because that's the only time it's going to make any difference to do COVID-19 is to determine if we need to think about hospitalization for those patients. Otherwise, we have them self-quarantined for 14 days, which would have normally been the treatment anyway if you had COVID-19. So because the testing won't necessarily change uh, what we asked them to do, we don't necessarily do the testing unless it looks like they have severe symptoms. Furthermore, for every patient that comes into the office, we have somebody in the lobby that checks their temperature. So if they have a fever, we have to evaluate whether they may be at risk for carrying the virus, and we don't want them walking into the lobby and the exam rooms where they might be able to infect other patients in that area. If we do suspect that a patient may have COVID-19, we count up from head to toe. We're head net, we were a... Uh, N95 masks, we wear a face shield, we wear a gown, we wear shoe covers, and there's techniques on how to put on all those things and how to take off each of those things and to wash your hands several times while we're in the process of evaluating the patient. So it's really changed our practice. What normally might take 10 to 15 minutes to evaluate someone with respiratory symptoms now can take 40 minutes to do that. 
Dr. Chin, let's review very quickly. What are the symptoms that people need to be looking for that would give them an indication possibly that they're carrying or have been infected by the virus? The common early symptoms are like any flu-like symptoms. You might get a sore throat, you get body aches, and then you may get a fever, usually above 100.3, and you may have a little cough. Uh, those would also be similar symptoms to COVID-19. And in mild cases, those symptoms will last for about five days, maybe as much as seven days, and they will then resolve and the patient will be perfectly fine. Uh, what is concerning, particularly, is that the fever was to persist uh, and you get shortness of breath. So shortness of breath uh, that impedes your ability to uh, breathe well is one of the indicators for possible admission into the hospital. So if it's severe enough, they may have to go into the hospital where they might be just set in a regular hospital bed and observed and given some oxygen. But if it continues to worsen, then they may have to go into the ICU and be on a ventilator. And and in most of those cases, after they're put on the ventilator for five, six days, or seven days, they're able to get off the ventilator, and then they will recover and do fine. So uh, the symptoms can range anywhere from mild flu-like symptoms to persistent fever, coughing, and shortness of breath that requires hospitalization. And ultimately, if, if you can uh, bring this down to my pastor level of understanding. What does COVID-19 do to the body that eventually may lead to a fatality? Well, um, the virus has a predilection for the lungs. It gets in through uh, certain receptors. We call them ACE2 receptors that are found in the lungs and in the gut. So, if it gets into the lungs, it causes a pneumonia, a viral pneumonia. Sometimes it can then turn into a secondary bacteria pneumonia as well. And, um, and that's when it can severely affect uh, patient symptoms. Uh, but that's also why in 10% of cases of COVID-19, we see gastrointestinal symptoms such as abdominal cramping, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea because those similar receptors are, are found to some extent in the intestines as well too. Uh, but primarily it's a lung infection that leads to pneumonia, which can, even after recovery, lead to some uh, long-term damage where uh, there might be some scarring in the lung tissue. Uh, so, so obviously, Pulmonary symptoms are the worst ones, and people that are susceptible to lung disease, such as people with COPD or people with propensities to infection like diabetics or people with heart disease will be most affected by this. Dr. Chin, you are the chairman of Advancing Vibrant Communities, uh, one of uh, uh, the main faith-based nonprofits uh, here in the Modesto and Stanislaus County area. And volunteers are, are the basis of that particular ministry, and we are recommending uh, to volunteers that if they want to deliver 
something to help somebody else out. They, they do a couple of things. One is wear a mask, uh, wear gloves if possible, and when they arrive at the location, uh, call the people on the phone, Drop either drop the goods there on the sidewalk and get back in your car or have your trunk open so that people can uh, receive, you know, whether it's a, a baby crib or uh, whatever it might be, they can they can take that out. Uh, work with us a little bit on that. Are there things that you would alter about those recommendations or some things maybe that you would add for volunteers that still want to help other folks out? No, I think those are excellent recommendations, Mike, and I think you're wise to uh, institute those for your volunteers. So most of the time where volunteers might be at risk is if they encounter the person that they're helping, and and if he or she has COVID-19, then uh, they can they can um, catch it from that person with close contact. So. So they should still stay at least six feet away from the people that they're serving. They should not shake hands. Uh, when they bring in furniture or items that they go into the home, um, they need to make sure that they're putting Perel on their hands as soon as they leave the home. In fact, they should do that uh, with every single transaction. They should have Perel available, just put it on all the time, especially after leaving a home, but to try to maintain that social distancing from the person that they're with, make sure that they, the volunteers learn not to put their hands to their face and just make sure that they Perel their hands uh, over and over again. You can't do it too much. You know, you've uh, you've got me thinking as we're talking here. I've almost touched my face two or three times just out of habit as we're talking. I'm, I'm trying to train myself uh, right now not to do that. And uh, as, as we close this out, you know, the recommendation is that we wash our hands for 20 seconds. Uh, and, and for people of faith, if you know the doxology, uh, sing that to yourself or out loud. That takes about 20 seconds, and you'll be you'll be ready. Question about that: When we're washing our hands at home. Uh, or after going to the supermarket, whatever, it, 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 it does it make a difference whether we're using antibacterial soap or just regular soap, or we'll, we'll both do the job? Uh, anything with disinfectants in it will be better to use. So sometimes regular soaps don't have a disinfectant, but, but it, it, it does work. If you wash your hands long enough with soap and water, it will be fine. Uh, this pulmonologist that I heard in, uh, in New York, um, he said something interesting. He said that the coronavirus is really a wimp virus. He says that that virus does not resist disinfectants, you know, uh, good hand hygiene. Well, at all, it succumbs to it. So the idea is just do it, you know, whether you do it with soap and water or disinfectant. As long as you do that, you're going to keep that, that virus at bay, and it's not going to be able to, to, to grab a hold. Um, and, and, and listening to him was what impressed me about how, how vitally important, how absolutely essential it is to keep washing our hands or putting Perel on our hands. It sounds like such a simple solution, but as is with a lot of things in medicine, it, it's simple things that helps us preserve our health. It's not anything real complicated. And, um, and it was his opinion that just doing that alone 
is going to prevent transmission 90% of the time. You don't even have to worry so much about about uh, being in a room with someone as long as it's a short, you know, 10, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or less. But washing the hands, he thought, was absolutely essential to keep it from spreading to you. Dr. Robert Chin, you've given us great wisdom on how to beat this wimp virus <laughs> that you just referred to. Uh, it mm-hmm. sounds like there is a, a lot <laughs> yeah. of positivity, uh, a lot of hope, uh, and, and it comes through simple sacrifice and retraining uh, the new normal, as you said before. As we close this out, Dr. Chin, if you could uh, just summarize the top three things that you would recommend people to do uh, to combat and and to beat COVID-19, what would those top three things be? All right. So number one is to wash your hands or to use Perel or some disinfectant on our hands any time we've been out of our home. So if you're touching a doorknob or a, a dollar bill or any uh, groceries, as soon as you get back home, wash your hands. Number two, avoid touching your face. Get into the habit of knowing where your hands are so that you don't put it to your face. And if wearing a face mask helps you do that, then you've accomplished a lot. And number three, maintain six feet of social distancing from other people so that you don't uh, expose yourself to potential uh, infected people that could pass it on to you. Dr. Robert Chin, thank you. You've given us not only a lot of information, but a lot of hope as well, a lot of assurance uh, that if uh, we we do these things, we don't need to be paranoid. We don't need to fear. We need to be uh, aware We need to have situational awareness of what's happening around us and how close we are to people and uh, how we need to retrain ourselves to do things like not touching our face. So thank you uh, for visiting with us, and we'll look forward to joining you in beating this WIMP virus. Thanks again to our special guest, Dr. Robert Chin. For Mike's Minute or Two, I'm Mike Douglas.